in thinking about this idea of reestablishing altars, uh, I felt like we need to talk about what an altar is and really define that. And uh, some of us know, some of us may not, but there's actually a lot of intentionality behind altars in the Scripture. Um, an altar, simply put, is a structure on which offerings are made to any sort of deity. Obviously, we believe there's only one true God. Amen. But altars are everywhere. You can make an altar to anything. You can make an altar to yourself. You can make an altar to God. You can make an altar to false gods. There's many false altars to false gods. But an altar is simply a structure on which offerings are made to a deity. The Hebrew word for altar actually comes from a verb. And the verb means to slaughter. So the word altar in Hebrew actually means to slaughter. The Greek word for it <clears throat> simply means a place of sacrifice. So you have this idea that an altar is the place of slaughter, place of, of, of sacrifice. Well, in the Jerusalem temple, there were actually two types of altars. There was the altar of incense, and then there's what we call the altar of holocaust. Okay? What the altar of incense was, was it was placed in front of the curtain separating the holy place from the most holy place. For those of you that may not know, in, in the temple, there were, th there were three areas in the temple to worship God. There was the courtyard, there was the holy place, and then there was the most holy place, often referred to as the Holy of Holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the presence of God sat. So if you've ever heard the scripture, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. When they went to worship God, they would literally enter through a certain gate with thanksgiving and they went into the courtyard to give praise to God. Well, the, right where the curtain was that separated the holy place from the most holy place, there was an altar of incense. And what they would do is they would burn incense twice a day, uh, offering up an offering to God. Right Now, the altar of Holocaust was a little different. The altar of Holocaust was actually in the courtyard. So when you entered into the gates and entered into the courtyard, everyone got to go in the courtyard, by the way. And the, the priest would go into the holy place. Right? Well, in the courtyard, there was this altar of Holocaust where basically animals were sacrificed as offerings to God. They would slaughter the animal, hence altar meaning slaughter, sacrifice. They would slaughter the animal, and then the animal would be consumed in something. Does anyone know what the animal would be consumed in? Fire. Very good. It would be consumed with fire because you, you got to do something with the slaughtered animal, right? You can't just let it just chill there. They, they didn't have, like, waste management to come get the animal. So the, it, it would be consumed in fire. And this is actually where we get the term burnt offerings, you ever heard that? A lot, a lot of us hear that stuff in church, but we never really get the understanding of what a burnt offering is. Well, that was what a burnt offering was. And we see the beginnings of burnt offerings as, as early as Noah after the flood. And then even uh, God asking Abraham to present his son Isaac in, in a burnt offering. Well, the Hebrew word for, now, now again, painting a picture, two altars. We've got an altar of incense, basically burning perfume up to God. Then you've got this altar of holocaust where they were slaughtering animals as a sacrifice to God. That is why the, the Jesus was the lamb that was slain. There had to be a sacrifice. There had to be a shedding of blood, right? So you have these two altars, incense burning, animals being sacrificed. The Hebrew word for burnt offering, the animal once it was burnt, actually simply means one thing, to ascend. So in both the burnt offering and the incense burning, the smoke and the incense from the burnt offering and the, the, whatever the incense burning was, they were both ascending to God. And we see that in Scripture referred to as a pleasing aroma. So the incense was a pleasing aroma that was lifting up to heaven just as much as a burnt offering was. The, the, the point of it is, is that no matter if it was an animal being sacrificed and burned up or the incense being burned up, God wants a pleasing aroma as a sacrifice of worship. Both were pleasing. And in Romans 12:1, we see this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. 
the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So in offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, your life actually becomes a pleasing aroma ascending to heaven. The question is, what aroma is ascending from you? We laugh and then we go, oh. Because for some of us, you can think of your life right now and think, okay, well, I sacrificed for the Lord. And some of you are thinking, ooh, what is he smelling up there from me? If we're going to walk into what God is calling this house to do, we have to embrace establishing our lives as an altar of pleasing aroma to the Almighty. Because far too long, the church has become a good place to go to feel better about, about our horrible lives. Or we go for one day a week to get our church in. And the fact of the matter is, lives aren't changing, cities are the same, and people are wondering why people aren't flooding the churches because no one is seeing true power in the church. Church has become a program for us to feel good about putting Christian on the census report. Is that, is that, is that too much? <laughs> Saying you believe in Jesus does nothing for Jesus. The scriptures say, many will call on my name and I will say to you, I never knew you. What is pleasing to the Almighty, what is pleasing to the Messiah, is seeing your life offered up as pleasing aroma. And we love to offer God our gifts and our talents and our service when it works for us. And that alone says it's not sacrificial. We have got to get to a place where as a church, if we're going to move into the things God wants us to move in, each and every single one of us, so that there is a corporate ascension, have to say, God, what do you want of me? You see, it's, it's, it's not about earning righteousness through becoming a sacrifice. Because I don't want to get religious here. I, I, I don't want to get into this vein of, okay, well, I've got to start doing right so that I can walk into righteousness. No, no, no. A life of sacrifice is a response to the revelation that you are right. Because he made you right and there's nothing more you can do to make you right and nothing you can do to make you unright, because he has made me right, I want to offer up something that is pleasing. And what he wants is your life. What he wants is your life as an altar. What he wants is everything you say and do is a lifting up, ascending, pleasing aroma that he delights in his creation. That is why it's such an important thing to embrace humility. Because it's one thing to say what you want to say, and it's another thing to say what he wants to smell. Is that, is that okay? He says, I want everything, that let, let every word that proceed from your lip be edifying to the body. Everything that comes out your mouth, if it's not edifying, don't let it out. Even if you're right about the thing you want to say. Because what is pleasing to him is not you being right. What's pleasing to him is you being walking in your right standing. What's pleasing to him is you taking the time to say, I want every word to be an offering. I want every action to be an offering. I want every response to be an offering. It's no longer about justifying your opinion or your thoughts because quite frankly, no one needs your opinions or your thoughts. What they need is a willing vessel to speak the word of the Almighty from heaven into earth. And it's not going to come by God showing up one day and saying, hey, here's the message. God shows up every day through your mouth or he's not we can pray all day for things to change in the United States the way they change is for us to do something and that do is God make my life an altar but where we get lost is we're waiting God to make our lives an altar when he says I've already made you right that everything you do can be a pleasing aroma And what's happened in the church is that we don't know how to walk by the wind. 
So what we start to do is we start to embrace the strength of religion because we don't know how to walk by the Holy Spirit, so we just look at the rules and figure if we do the rules, God will show up. Or we'll start to totally compromise and start to look like the very thing that we are saved to light up. And the church shifts from being an altar of sacrifice to an altar of pleasing the flesh. Quite frankly, I believe that as we move more into what God wants us to do, there should be things that we move in that may offend you a little bit at first. And I'm not talking about a bad type of offense. I'm talking about something that makes you go, huh? This is new. And it takes a transforming of your mind to embrace the shift. That's why the scripture says, be continually transformed by renewing your mind. I believe that everything we are to walk in, it should take some level of renewal to embrace. It took a level of renewal to embrace Saturday instead of Sunday, especially during football season. It, 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 it took a level of, of, of shifting the mind. I mean, this may sound weird to you, but to, to, for, for me to wear T-shirts and not collars. You know, everyone makes fun of me that I'm a flip-flop guy, but for the longest time, whenever I, I would speak, I'd make sure I had some sort of collar, whether it be like a polo shirt or a buckle shirt that I paid $300 for to roll up the sleeves. Like, that's, I, I just had a weird thing. It, it took me, like, you know what? I can just be myself. And I know that seems kind of like, okay, well, that's, that's stupid. But how many people come to church posing to fit in when the church should be the place of open arms to say, oh, there's an altar walking in. There's a son walking in. There's a daughter walking in. There is a child of God that just walked into the room. Let's embrace him. Hebrews 13, 8-9 says this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Now let me stop there. Strange new ideas does not mean new ideas. Strange new ideas mean ideas that do not align with what was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your strength comes from God's grace. Not from rules about food, which don't help those who follow them. The context of this passage is what's going on is there was, these, there was a return to these mosaic ceremonies and laws that Jesus fulfilled. They were going back to uh, things that worked for them. They were going back to their religion. They were going back to what they knew. They were going back to the ceremonies. And the writer of Hebrews is saying he's the same. So don't get wrapped up in a new strange ideal like embracing sin as a normal thing as the church is doing today. That Don't think that your strength comes, it says, from rules about food. In other words, don't think your strength comes from your religious practice. It says your strength is not from a religious practice. Your strength comes from God's grace that made you right. So strength is not let me get my life right. Strength is realizing that you are right, so get your life to look like who you really are. We, <laughs> I don't know if I can. The fact of the matter is, it says in Scripture that God made man in his image. But I think we don't give enough weight to that statement. When God was forming mankind, he looked at himself and started making. So everything about us is what God saw when he started forming Adam. So any theology that says that we cannot walk in the power of God is actually rebelling toward the truth that we were creating in his image. He created you to speak to the weather. 
Because he gave you the authority over the earth. He created you to speak to sickness. He created us to make medicine for sickness. We're not going to be one of those polar, you know, one side of the spectrum churches where everything is about supernatural healing. I say it over and over and over. When, when, when Paul was on the island, Luke was with him, and it says that after he got bit by the snake and threw the snake back into the fire, he went to the town, the whole town was healed, and the word for healing in that scripture, one is by supernatural means and one is by medical means. God is just as in the medical field as in the supernatural field. The problem is we celebrate supernatural to a greater degree even than the medical. Both are gifts from God. And see, that right there even pushes a little bit. Because we all want the miraculous. We all want the supernatural. But, but, but the ability of a man to open up a body and fix it, to me, is very supernatural. Why? Because you are cre- a doctor is created in the image of the one who knew how to form the body. I don't know where I was going with that. Hmm. it's not let me get the rules right so I can be an altar of sacrifice. It's if I walk in an intimacy with my father, my altar of sacrifice will start to look like the rules. The Ten Commandments, if you will, it's not get these right so you'll be right. It's the evidence of you walking in righteousness looks like these Ten Commandments. That's the difference in new and old. In the Old Testament, all they had was do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Consecrate yourself. Consecrate. Simply meaning to say, hey, I'm dedicating myself to God's purposes. So their consecration was follow the rules. Their consecration was, here's the Ten Commandments. Their consecration was, if you're a Nazarite, you got to do this, you got to do that. If you're in the Levitical priesthood, you got to do this, you got to do that. When Jesus came, he said, I didn't come to abolish what they did. I came to fulfill what they did. The fulfillment does not mean those things are not important. The fulfillment is those things don't make you right. The fulfillment is Jesus alone makes you right. And the evidence of you embracing that righteousness looks like what they did in Old Testament. And the reason that's a little hard to receive is because we've embraced a Christianity that is kind of like we do what we want to do. And because of grace, God's okay with it. Well, if grace said you can do what you want, then he wouldn't have told us, just because you call on my name doesn't mean you know me. Grace is how you are. Grace is you got saved out of undeserving, not live how you want because I saved you. So they're going through this no more, like, hey, we don't need to do this religious stuff. We, we, we don't need to think that strength comes from religion. We don't need to embrace strange new ideas. And then what happens in verse 10 is the writer says this. We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. You see, what was going on is that the Jewish people labeled uh, Jewish Christians as illegitimate. We refer to Jewish Christians today as Messianic Christians. They were referring to them as illegitimate because they were not continuing in the religious system of Judaism. And if, if I may dabble a little bit, you're not more holy just because you start to do Jewish things as a Christian. God doesn't even see Jew anymore. He doesn't see Gentile. He sees Israel. I'm going to leave that with you. So the writer of Hebrews says, hey guys, we don't have to eat from the altar of get this stuff right. And we don't have to eat from any altar of a strange idea that doesn't look like Jesus. He says we have a different type of altar that we can eat from. 
that they don't even know of yet. They're not receiving it. And you know what the altar is? Look in John 6.35. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, the altar we eat from is the bread of life called Jesus. And if you're hungry for stuff that's not of God, I question the altar established in your life. And we need to reestablish the altar of the bread. We need to reestablish the altar of the bread. If you find that you are hungry for stuff that's not of God. And even those of us that are hungry for God, I guarantee you there's more areas in your life than you realize you need to reestablish on the altar of bread. And let me tell you what I mean by the altar of bread. And this may make some of you mad, but just go with it, okay? It's not that, hear me out fully before you make a judgment call on this. It's not that we should seek healing. It's we seek Jesus and let the food from that altar fill our temples so that healing flows from the altar we eat from. If you need healing, you don't go from church to church to church looking for the right healing altar call. If you need healing, what it is is there is something in you that is lacking. So let's say you've got someone that has cancer. Let's say you've got someone with, that was paralyzed. Okay? It's not that you go saying, I need a touch so I can walk or I need a touch so that it goes. It's I want, I have a lack in me. There is, a, there, 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 there is, there is something missing in me. The miss is that cancer should not be here. The miss is that I can't walk. So what do you do? You go eat bread to get filled up in your lack. And when you start eating from the bread, the flow of the bread is, oh, before you started eating, you couldn't walk. But my food fills you up, and it's called you're healed. And what's happened in the church for far too long is that people, I, I, I hear it all the time, I'm just trying to, to, to get a fresh word or I, I'm trying to find healing or I, I want to get in the presence of God. If you don't know how to get in the presence of your car in your home, no church is going to be good enough for you. What we need to do is get back to the place of the altar where your home smells like, more like Holy Spirit than this place ever could. And when our homes start to be an altar lifting up, pleasing aroma to God, can you imagine what happens when the corporate meaning of all these places comes together? That's the altars that need to be reestablished. It's not, let's get another good program at church so that we can get people on fire. No, no, no. It's establish your, your temple as an altar that's pleasing, so that when we come together, there's a lot of pleasing aromas that's in agreement. The goal of this meeting, let me say for relentless, is not to be evangelical driven. We do not posture these worship gatherings for the unsaved person. Now, if an unsaved person comes in here, praise God, they're going to meet them. Let me say that again. Praise God, they're going to meet him. Okay? But the purpose of this meeting is to equip the altars of how to burn proper incense, how to burn proper offerings. What do you mean burn incense and burn offerings? Again, what comes out your mouth? How you treat your neighbor. How you treat family members who don't like you. How you respond to injustice. 
letting go of bitterness and spiteful spirits in yourself. That does not please God. And what we've embraced is, well, i got to go through this process. No, you don't. Burn it up. It's not meant to stay with you. So don't come up with a reason as to why it's staying. You know why it's staying? Because you haven't offered yourself to God. Is, 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 is this, is this, okay. If it's offending you, you're hearing from God. All right. What is the bread you're eating from? Is it Jesus or healing? Is it Jesus or notoriety? Is it Jesus or credit? When I hear people upset because they didn't get credit for something, it shows where, what bread you're eating from. I'll let that sit for a second. <laughs> it, is fame the altar you eat from? Is getting even the altar you eat from? Right? <laughs> We've got to reestablish the altar of the bread of life. It's the only thing that's going to satisfy us. When you're hungry, when, when you're thirsty, he is the one that sustains I think we've, we've made that idea just way too general because when we think of bread and uh, of life sustaining hunger and thirst, we just think of a general idea of salvation. But it's everything. It's every lack. Seek him and he will fill it because you're eating of the right nutrient, Jesus. I like this no serious stuff. Look what happens in verse 11. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin. Remember, altar of holocaust, right? They would sacrifice the animal, right? So they would bring the blood in as a sacrifice for the sin. The bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So let me, let me paint a picture. Sacrifice the animal, took the blood in, because you got to have blood on the altar. Again, foreshadowing of Jesus. There's a reason he's called the lamb. There's a reason his blood was, shamed, was slain, okay? This, this, was, this was how God set up the temple. So what happens is, is what the blood is offered, and then they've got to burn up the sacrifice. So they take the animal outside the camp. Verse 12, so also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates. To make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us, someone shout us. Let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace that he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Now, let me build this right. This world is not our permanent home. We're looking forward to it. Can you put that back up there? We are looking forward to a home yet to come. The home yet to come is not simply the afterlife of heaven. It is the fulfillment of the prophecy and revelation that God will destroy the earth just to simply put a new one down that is, is what I believe is essentially a picture of the Garden of Eden. It's not going to a, a heaven and that's it. It's we go to heaven when you die, waiting for him to fill everything back how it's supposed to be. An earth that is operating as heaven on earth. Does that make sense? That is the home yet to come. So this is our home, but we are called to bring the reality of heaven down until he does it literally. Okay? Now, I want to go back a little bit where it says, let us go outside the city, outside the camp, and bear the disgrace that he bore. Let us go outside the camp and bear the disgrace that he bore. There will be times in your life where you're going to have to make decisions and say things 
and react a certain way that is not normal to your society, to your friends, and to your family, and the cultural background that you give more loyalty to than God. That is going outside the camp. I'm not going to live as everyone tells me I should. we got to stop this whole thing of, well, that's how I grew up. That's your camp. Well, this is my people. This is my culture. Well, if you want to live according to your fallen culture, you go ahead. But my God has a beautiful display of, of, of colors and ethnicities and all this that actually all have same culture. So the question is, what are you loyal to? The fallen earth culture that told you it's normal or go outside that camp? And what we've got to start doing with building that altar is you've got to give an offering. You have got to sacrifice what has been your norm for a new one. And when we start sacrificing sacrificing what's normal to us and go outside the camp, The offering that is pleasing to God ascends. And I, I, I remember a song I heard one time. It's called Angels Going Up, Angels Coming Down. And I just had this picture of as we give pleasing aroma to God with our sacrifice, imagine what it releases from the heavenly realm. Because it's no longer I've got to sacrifice to get myself right. It's when I give myself as an altar, it unlocks heavenly portals. If you go home and your home is a mess, it's time to make your home an altar. Maybe for a season you cancel the subscriptions so that your family has to rely on the bread that is written about in this thing. Now, some of you may think, well, that's just ridiculous. We kind of did the same thing with Relentless. We were having click problems. So we left that 500-seater and came to this little 1,100-square-foot space to just cram people in without the luxury of space. We sacrificed. And, And sometimes I think we forget the power of sacrifice. Maybe you got to sacrifice the entertainment for a season. Maybe you got to sacrifice the extra money for a season. See, see, see we, we, we love to say, God, give me, give me, give me, but he's, when he says, well, this is the sacrifice I need, we tell him why he's wrong. These bodies of the animals were burned as a pleasing aroma. Jesus offered up as a pleasing aroma. And we have to realize that not everything of our norm is pleasing. So God, make me an altar. Show me what I got to give up. It's it's no longer about rules. I I get this question all the time like, well, is it it sinful to drink? Is it drink? Is it drunk? the, The question needs to be is what is Holy Spirit leading you to do? Because we're still in this, we're still in this rule thing. Can I or can't I? We gotta start asking God, what, what do you want of me? And when you find out what he wants of you, you will find out what he doesn't want of you. Let me read a passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. Stop right there. Yet, so many of us still rely on our wisdom and our intelligence from worldly things. 
You know that like there are Christians who develop like their beliefs off of Netflix documentaries? And we're all laughing, but you're probably thinking of someone or yourself who have beliefs based off of documentaries made by people who don't know God and you wonder why your world is so messed up. <laughs> look, look, look at verse 20. Where does this lead the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? If I, if I may, stop getting mad about the news and just stop watching it. You're welcome. So easy. If you know what they said and you got to ask me my opinion, my response is, well, you know what they said. That's your problem. Sorry. God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. <laughs> Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. Reading that, I love the fact that a lot of church people call my preaching dumb. It's just revealing. Okay, never mind. Verse 22. It's foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. Oh, can we talk about that for a second? There's still a lot of Christians who are still looking for signs rather than just walking in your call. That's all. Okay. It's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended. The Gentiles say it's nonsense. But to those called by God of salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God. Christ is the wisdom of God. So everything about us should appear as foolish to the religious and the thinkers. Because the only power and wisdom there is is that of Christ, which does not ring true for religious and thinkers. That's why the religious people are now ordaining homosexuals in the church. They're embracing strange new ideas. And they call it foolish to not let them do what they do. It's, it's scripture. And yet the church's response is we're surprised. Let me, the religious system is, if they are not seeking God, if they are in their ceremonies, the more the religious embrace their ceremonies, the more they're going to embrace strange, wrong ideas. It's, it's a natural flow. But the more we offer ourselves up as sacrifice, the more foolish we start to look. But in our foolishness, there is actual power. So in the religious and the thinkers, they're trying to figure out how to get this and get that and, and how to get people saved and, and how to get people in their doors so they can increase their income. Meanwhile, the foolish people are seeing people get out of wheelchairs. For those of you newer tonight, we've seen miracles happen crazy every week, this, I mean, especially this year. I, I, I believe that this house is on the, I mean, it's on the cusp. And what it's going to take are the altars. Christ is the power and the wisdom of God. But Christ does not mean Jesus. The word Christ means the anointed. When Jesus left, he multiplied himself by way of Holy Spirit. So when it speaks that Christ is the power of God and Christ is the wisdom of God, that means that we have been anointed with wisdom and power. But walking in that power and walking in that wisdom flows from, is your life becoming an altar? So if we're not seeing the wisdom and power of God in our lives, the question is, have we offered a pleasing aroma? Or has Christianity just become a checkbox? I don't know about you, but I want to see this body move in such a way in power and wisdom that the way we walk confuses and confounds the wise and the world to such a degree where they're going to see stuff actually working and they're going to start to ask how, why. 
when in an economic crisis we thrive. When a disease breaks out, we have all the types of medicine. When sin is embraced, we're bold enough to say no. In 2020, I've taught a whole series on Judges called The Kingless Kingdom. And as I was going back into Judges 13, out of this conversation, there was some stuff in here that I didn't teach on back then that I'm going to bring out tonight that I believe really deals with reestablishing the altars. You see, the book of Judges is all about Israel. Basically, they do good, they do bad. And then God's got to send someone to redeem the people, right? See, a lot of people think that Judges, when we think of the book of Judges, we think of a, like a, 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 a United States type of judge, you know, like guilty or not guilty. Judge in, in, in this actually simply means someone that comes to save and redeem. It changes, your, it changes your mind when you think of God as our judge. You should not be scared of the Father judging your actions. His judgment is redemption. So with that, Israel has fallen again, and they need a new judge. And this is the point where God is about to send Samson. So in Judges 13, verses 1 through 3, it says this. Again, the, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines, who oppressed them for 40 years. In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you've been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So an angel comes with a message. Says, Hey, I know you can't get pregnant, but you're about to get pregnant. And you're going to give birth to a son. Now, just to set this up right, I, I want to make sure we understand. It says that Manoah's wife was unable to become pregnant. That means they were trying to get pregnant. They were wanting a child. But physically, they had a lack. She couldn't get pregnant. So she didn't start seeking, I need a touch to get pregnant. And this is where we are at a lot of our points in our life. We have something out of line, or we have a desire. We have something we need. We have a want. And what we do is we start seeking the want out, and we all want that thing, but we don't like the altar we must build for the thing that God wants to give you. We don't like the process of consecrating ourselves. We all want to do great things for the kingdom of God, but no one likes the idea of sacrificing to get the great thing. We all want to do, see God do great things in our lives, but we don't build the altar of sacrifice and tithing. Because you need it. Well, that shows you need that a lot more than what you think you need. We don't like to build the altar of sacrifice of service. I think this, I'm not getting on to y'all. If you feel the conviction, again, it's probably the Holy Spirit. But in most churches, I hear it all the time, they have such a difficult time getting volunteers. That should never be an issue for a house of worship. The fact of the matter is, every single person in this room and, and watching this and hearing this should be serving somewhere. I'm not talking about necessarily on a Saturday night. I'm talking about simply serving somewhere without pay. Stop calling your job serving. You're getting served. <laughs> yeah. 
unless you work for the church. <laughs> oh, Lord. We don't like the idea of, okay, I need this thing, and then God starts to answer it, and then he says, oh, oh, you want this? This is what I desire. So she's wanting a child, and God answers by sending an angel saying, you, you're going to get pregnant. And this is what the angel says in verse 4. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. Now, this is what religion does. If you've got a problem. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you got to give up. Uh, <laughs> How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay. That's what religion does. I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> don't drink wine. Don't drink alcoholic drinks. Don't eat forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut. For he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. God says, I'm giving you what you desire, but I want a sacrifice from you so that the thing I'm giving you accomplishes its purpose. How many times do you receive something without asking what is the purpose? It wasn't just, oh, you want a kid? I'll give you the kid. It's, I'm going to give you this child to accomplish something that I need done. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes of parents. You celebrate getting a child and never ask, what is the child's purpose? And you don't sacrifice what you like for their raising. So they're exposed to horror films. And you wonder why they have weird fascinations. And then the religious spirit just made you feel guilty because you think, well, I messed my kids up because I did that. There is a beautiful thing called redemption. <laughs> okay? So it, guilt, like, don't, don't receive that. Okay? How many times do you receive something without saying, what is its purpose? How many times do you receive a gift and never ask, what is its purpose? And what religion will do is take a scripture like this and make you think, okay, well, to be holier than holy, you've got to be a Nazarite. You can't drink wine. You can't cut your hair. Thank the Lord. <laughs> That's not the point of the scripture. It was, for this child, I need you to give your life as an altar and guide him in his life as an altar. Sacrifice both of you for my purposes. 2 Timothy 2.21, if you keep yourselves pure, you'll be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. You know what pure is? Lord, thank you for making me right. What do you want of me? Because the fact of the matter is, Jesus made you pure. So to keep yourselves pure is to say, God, I'm not waiting to get right to serve you. I received the fact that I am right. What is the purpose of me? And a lot of the times I hear people all the time, I've been praying, what is, what is my will, God? What is, what, what is the purpose for my life? What is your plan for me? And when he says sacrifice something, you say, I will after I hear the plan. <laughs> when God says, I'm not going to reveal the plan until I start seeing the altar of sacrifice. Okay. Lord, make my life an altar of sacrifice for the purposes of advancing the kingdom of God. So in verse 6, the woman ran and told her husband, A man of God appeared to me. He looked like one of God's angels. Terrifying to see. I say it again. Everyone who thinks they see angels all the time, it, 
they, it should disturb you. If, 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 you, if you think you see an angel, it's probably more of a prophetic picture than an actual angel. If, if it doesn't disturb you to some degree. Okay. I didn't ask where he was from. He didn't tell me his name. But he did tell me this. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. Your son will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from the moment of his birth until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, saying, Lord, please let this man of God come back to us again and give us more instructions about the son who is to be born. Now, that's actually a good thing. Because you know what Manoah did? He, he, did, he didn't... He wasn't asking for instructions because he didn't get them. He didn't even have the, the, the meetup with the angel. His wife said, I saw a man of God who looked like an angel. He said this, and Manoah immediately said, I need confirmation. He, he, didn't, he didn't question, but it was God, confirm it. Let me see the instructions. And I think we need to let the posture of our hearts be, God, whatever you have of me, yes. Just confirm it. Let my life be an altar for your purpose. Well, verse 9, God answered Manoah's prayer. And the angel of God appeared once again to his wife as she was sitting in the field. But her husband, Manoah, was not with her. So she quickly ran and told her husband, The man who appeared to me the other day is here again. Manoah ran back with his wife and asked, Are you the man who spoke to my wife the other day? Yes, he replied, I am. So Manoah asked him, when your words come true. Not if. When. We, we should always have a level of expectation. When your words come true, what kind of rules should govern the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord replied, be sure your wife follows the instructions I gave her. She must not eat grapes or raisins, drink wine or any other alcoholic drink or eat any forbidden food. You, see, you know what confirmation looks like? It looks the same. And I think a lot of times we skip over the same thinking it's, well, it's the same word. Yes, that's, that's what a confirming word is. It looks the same as before. Well, I, I'm just waiting for the word. I just keep hearing the same thing. And y'all laughing because you've all said it. A man who looks like a terrifying angel appears and speaks of an impossibility, and they just say, yep. God used the foolish things. And when your life is an altar to the Lord, foolish things actually start to speak to your language. Because you're postured for a life in Christ, a life in anointed purpose. You start, you start to... You start to embrace foolish things as your normal because it's supernatural. It, it's, it, it's a language from heaven that no one else starts to get. I go back to where they weren't seeking how can we get pregnant. They obviously had a relationship with God to recognize an angel when it was just simply a man, to recognize a moment as yes, they weren't seeking how do we get pregnant. In their lack, they just said, God. And the answer came in the form of instruction. Give yourself to me as a sacrifice. Now, here's where it gets interesting. It says, then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please stay here until we can prepare a young goat for you to eat. I'll stay. The angel of the Lord replies, see, even angels are moved by the thought of food. But not really. Because watch what happens. I'll stay, but I'm not going to eat anything. However, you may prepare a burnt offering as a sacrifice to the Lord. 
Manoah didn't realize it was the angel of the Lord. Again, looked like a man. Scriptures tell us we entertain angels. That's why we should never reject someone that's a little off or looks a little strange. Because, you know, you'll receive the word from Pastor Kyle. But, but, you know, you're out walking in the park one day and a homeless man comes up and gives a word that just seems strange for that circumstance. You'll reject it as, oh, they were crazy. Manoah asked the angel, what's your name? For, for when all this comes true, we want to honor you. Why do you ask my name? The angel of the Lord replied, it's too wonderful for you to understand. Now, a lot of people will say because of that statement, it was probably Jesus. I don't know. But what is interesting is that when they offered the angel a young goat, he said, no, no, no. The only thing that sustains me is lifting up an offering to the Lord. Hey, can you stay? I'll stay as long as you offer up a burnt offering. I will stay as long as you offer up a pleasing aroma. I believe the Holy Spirit is telling relentless. I'll stay as long as. You offer up a pleasing aroma. You see, there's so many times, whoo, I, whoo, I feel that. There's, there's so many times in history, and I've spoken about it many times, I'm going to do it again tonight. Revivals come and revivals go. Holy Spirit simply says one thing, I'll, I'll stay. As long as it's a pleasing aroma. And the pleasing aroma stops being pleasing when it becomes self-focused, new idealistic, Religious? You, you know, like, no, never mind, never mind. We, we try to put all the, the supernatural occurrences, and you got to get it this way, limiting God to that one way. I'll, I'll stay as long as you enter up a, offer up a burnt offering. I'll stay in a pleasing aroma. And the thing is that Manoah didn't invite him to just stay anywhere. He didn't say, hey, let's go outside and let's get a table or sit on the ground. He invited the man, the angel, into his home. To which I ask again, have you invited him in? Because it's really easy to say, yeah, I invited Jesus into my life. But if your life doesn't look like Jesus, I ask you, have you invited? When you go to work Monday morning, do they, do they see an aroma that they don't understand that God does? Right? When you're starting to cut unhealthy relationships... Do they see aroma that is like a stench to them, but God delights in? I declare that we start to invite Holy Spirit to stay in the midst to such a degree that there is no other reality than the reality of heaven. In the corporate meeting, in your homes, I don't believe these house gathering things are, are, are just a cool thing. I believe God is going to do something powerful in these gatherings. Our homes are going to become burnt offerings. You know what burnt means? It means they're lit up in fire. I believe we're going to start seeing fires ignited all across this area. Neighborhoods are going to start to shift. Can I, can I, can I prophesy? Where there are house gatherings, crime rates will go down in that neighborhood. Families will start to be restored in that neighborhood. Marriages that are, that are failing for some reason, they're going to start to fall in love again. 
even if they never came in your home because there's an aroma that is starting to spread throughout the neighborhoods. This house is full of people that live on Wilmington Island, Screven County, and wherever else, the way that way, Springfield, Richmond Hill, Isle Hope, South Carolina. There's all, there's all kind of regional. Do you realize that God is posturing us as an apostolic house to change this region? And it's not by creating a church of 20,000 people. It's creating a church with just starting out with maybe five fires. Because we're not trying to get the credit for the change of the neighborhood. What we want is to get a fire ignited in a home so that that neighborhood starts to get excited for God. And maybe they never come to Relentless and maybe they never find out about the house gathering, but for some reason they wake up on a Sunday and say, I've got to get to a house of worship. And they have no idea why they got it. All because the Holy Spirit says, I'll stay if you offer up a pleasing aroma. Reestablishing altars. (laughs) And look what happens in verse 19. Then Manoah took a young goat and a grain offering, offered it on a rock as a sacrifice to the Lord. And as Manoah and his wife watched, the Lord did an amazing thing. As the flames from the altar shot up toward the sky, the angel of the Lord ascended in the fire. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell with their faces to the ground. The angel didn't appear again to Manoah and his wife, but Noah finally realized it was an angel of the Lord. And he said to his wife, we will certainly die, for we've seen God. Look how quickly unworthiness entered into his mind. I think we've got to get that language out of I'm not worthy. Stop rejecting what God just gave you. You are worthy. It's not Humble to say you're not worthy. It's humble to say I am worthy not by my means. You are worthy. And if there's anyone in this room tonight that has never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let me tell you how good he is. I'm not trying to scare you out of hell. He makes you worthy to accomplish purposes that you never dreamed that you were good enough to accomplish. We'll certainly die for we've seen God, but his wife said if the Lord were going to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted our burnt offering and grain offering. You know what? That, if the Lord accepted a burnt offering in the Old Testament before Jesus, how much more would he do it now? The beautiful thing is we don't have to get a lamb. We don't have to get a certain grain. We just say, Lord, here's what I got. question is, are we asking God, what is in me that I've got to give you? What do I still have to give up? Not to get righteousness, but to keep myself pure for your purpose. Keep myself pure, because you already are. Not earn pure, keep, protect, steward. When her son was born, she named him Samson. The Lord blessed him as he grew up. The Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he lived in Mananadadan, which is located between the towns of Zorah and Eshtel. You're made worthy. You're made with right standing. And your life is so right that your life can be such an altar that the flames of your burnt offerings shoot up to heaven as pleasing aroma and God answers with a blessing for his purposes. God gave them Samson for a purpose and so it is with everything in your hand but do you offer it up? There's a reason you have a gift or a skill or a talent that no one else does. There's a reason you have an insight that no one else does. There's a reason that God gives you dreams 
There's a reason that God gave you visions. It's not to keep you hopeful just for a letdown. If God gave you a vision or a hope for your life, it's not, it's never going to come true. The question is, God, what is the sacrifice you want from me? Is it serving in a place that doesn't make sense? Is it giving up a, you know, creature comfort that's not exactly sin? What is it, God? What do you want from me? I want my life to be a pleasing aroma. I want to invite Holy Spirit to be in every part of my life. And I want him to stay. You know, John the Baptist was preaching. And people started asking him, are you the Messiah? And this is what he responded with. I'm going to close with this, Luke 3, 16. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water. But someone's coming who's greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Why do I bring that up? We are to be baptized with a fire of our burnt offering. Our lives immersed in an altar of a pleasing sacrifice to God. He says, I will baptize you with Holy Spirit and I will baptize, consume you with fire. You know what consume you with fire means? Whatever you offer him, he says, I will, and it's pleasing. Whatever. Well, I can't get up in front of people and preach and I can't go do that. Yeah, but, but, but what can you do? Because even if it seems like it's not enough, he says, I will baptize that thing with fire. I'll baptize your marriage with fire. I'll baptize your children with fire, but are you going to offer them to me? And we love to say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this, I'll give you that. But with I give you this comes a giving up something. He said, give it to me and I will, I'll baptize it with fire and that thing will be so pleasing to me. So church, tonight I'm not going to do an altar call because the altar call is simply this. You're the altars. Start burning. Become pleasing aromas so that Savannah starts smelling like the sweetest place in the world. Amen.